Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Point of Everything. Today's guest on the show is Gary O'Brien, who I'm kind of surprised uh, that I managed to get an interview with because she's so busy at the moment. Um, she's just released her first book, well, she recently released her first book of poetry, Illuminate, which is out um, via Salmon Poetry. It's uh, really, really, it's a, it's a lovely cover as well. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's about 30 poems or there there thereabouts. And yeah, it's really, really great. I'd really recommend that. And then uh, Looking at the Stars is an anthology of Irish writing in aid of the Dublin Simon community, which seems to be taking up a lot of her time at the moment. So there was a thousand copies printed. They cost 15 euro and they were on sale from uh, Debray Books and Books Upstairs in Dublin. And it was all for the Dublin Simon community to raise 15 grand for... Um, to go tire- directly to the emergency rough sleepers team of the Simon community. So it's a really big undertaking and there's absolutely tons of names in there that are writing poetry or fiction or non-fiction. And it seems like a lot of it, I've, I've kind of only skimmed the surface, I think, of what's actually in this, uh, this, how big is it? Let's find out. So it's, over 150 pages anyway. Theo Dorgan, Christine Dwyer-Hickey, Colin Barrett, Donald Ryan, Sinead Gleeson, Tara Flynn. Loads of names. Anne Enright, Belinda McKeown, Dave Rudden, John Kelly, Danielle McLaughlin, Kevin Barry. Oh, Kevin Barry, who we interviewed around this time last year, about 11 months ago on the podcast. So you can go back and listen to that. Ricochet's got something in there as well. And so they've been doing loads of events with it. It sounds like it's been doing really, really well. Only a thousand copies printed and it sounds like it's almost sold out. So yeah, rush to the bookshop and see if they have any copies left. Uh, or failing that, you know, just donate some money to the Dublin Simon community or the Simon community in general and do a nice thing for charity. So Kerry will be at the Ovale Winter Warmer Festival on the 25th and 26th of November. So that's Friday and Saturday. Um, Ovale is a, is, a po- is a weekly poetry night uh, in Cork and they're just having this um, two-day festival at the Kino, which is going to be see loads and loads of readings and there's going to be some poetry books launched and some chat books launched and Kerry will be doing a reading there and she'll also be at uh, the Ovale regular event on Monday night so yeah keep an eye out for that and keep an eye out for looking at the stars and illuminate so you're going to hear Kerry coming up in just a moment thanks a lot for listening to the podcast Uh, if this is your first time listening there's lots of old episodes to go back on if you want you know i don't know if they date really really badly i'd like to think that they don't you know it's lots of uh just kind of general chats with musicians and other artists and things like that so hopefully you you might uh delve back and find something of interest to you yeah the point of everything on itunes or soundcloud if you could like share tell a friend tell an enemy um why would you tell an enemy unless you think the podcast is really terrible? But you don't, do you do? Uh, so yeah, this is uh, Carrie O'Brien. Go to Books Upstairs or, you know, Waterstones or anywhere and ask for her book of poetry, at least, Illuminate. And if you can still get your hands on it, Looking at the Stars, which is just a fantastic undertaking. So this is Carrie chatting. Thanks a lot. Okay, so 
like it's been a big year for you just releasing looking you know kind of finally getting looking at the stars out there and releasing your first book of poetry and I was just wondering straight off the bat like what your actual goals were for the year <laughs> oh yeah well uh the whole two books back-to-back stress thing uh wasn't the original plan um, I suppose at the beginning of the year, I still hadn't finished Illuminate, um, but I was still very much in a kind of writing mode. I knew I wanted to dedicate a few more months to it and really, you know, solidly edit it and get it, like, finally done. Um, so I did that from the February until May. I literally locked myself in Trinity Library and focused on that and didn't think too much beyond that. You know, I wanted to focus on the work. And I was happy with that. Um... And then I suppose the minute I kind of sent my manuscript off, it must have been around, yeah, April or May is when the whole Akita Star video uh, started. But I really had no intention for this to end up being such a massive project um, at all. Um, I was kind of just happily kind of trucking along and seeing what I might do next. Uh, but yeah, but to be honest, it's been the most rewarding year. I've been so proud of both books this year, but particularly it was just such a, I don't know, such a great way to end it. And I'm really glad that we went kind of 100% with this because, again, it was a very small idea. You know, it started like, we, you know, we might do a gig or something or maybe a small pamphlet. I had no idea it would be, you know, this huge. Um, but, yeah, it's been one of the best years, I think, in terms of writing for me. When did you start writing Illuminate? So, <laughs> uh, I got the offer to publish a collection years ago, probably 2012, probably after I just wrote out my little chat book. Um, and back then, uh, I kind of see it in a lot of young poets now. You kind of you get to a point where you're like publishing everywhere and you're reading a lot and it's all kind of happening. Um, and I was getting an awful lot of pressure from even older poets to be like, bring out the collection, when's the first collection? But I always knew, I I just didn't think the work was good enough. I just wasn't confident about it at all and I didn't want to bang out a collection for the sake of it. So I thought the idea of a collection was rattling around in my head for years, but I didn't, I still didn't have any kind of solid structure. It didn't feel right. Um... But I kind of, I think I knew that I wanted to write something kind of spiritual. I probably wanted to write Paris, but it genuinely wasn't until last uh, last April May when I broke my foot, in 2015, that I kind of like decided to like take it seriously then just really go for it. So it really, I mean, the the majority, I think apart from two poems, they're all brand new, all written last summer. Um, so yeah, I think the whole concept of it was the last year of writing and editing. But I, yeah, the idea of the collection has been kind of uh, been forced upon me for about five years. And so so when you're writing all of the new poems, are you kind of like, um, you know, writing with the book in mind or are you just, uh, maybe it'll fit in with the new book? Um, so I'd ask, you know, various advice from different poets along the years, you know, <clears throat> how do you write a collection? And, you know, a lot of people kind of say, oh, don't have a, you know, don't have a collection in mind, just write the poems and they'll come together themselves, all this kind of stuff. Which I was kind of like, all right, because I never, I know the idea of thematic collections, you don't want some sort of repetitive thing that it's all just based on one kind of, you know, concept of, I don't know, you know something really bizarre. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I was never really sure what I wanted the book to be. I, I had no sort of like, you know, Irish mythological concepts or anything. I didn't, I don't really work like that. But then I found last year when I was just sitting down again, kind of like, you know, couldn't walk isolated and stuff. Um, I knew I wanted to do something kind of very beautiful. I knew I wanted the poems to have all the same kind of tone. There are certain images I wanted to have throughout the work, um, certain themes, I suppose. And I think, I think for me anyway, it's a very, very short collection, but I wanted each poem to kind of flow into the other. And for them all, you could just read one poem and know it's part of the collection, do you know what I mean? And the order doesn't necessarily matter. So it was kind of more like an... I probably thought of it more like an album, to be honest, you know? Um... But again, yeah, I suppose just for them to have all the same kind of tone and imagery and subject matter, more like a long kind of poem. 
than separate random poems. Anyway, personally, I found it, it really took that kind of isolation, that time, that dedication, that taking it seriously to produce a good book. That was just my experience. I don't think I could have, you know, just, you know, gathered all the poems I'd randomly had published over a few years and, you know, saved them together. That really wouldn't have worked for me anyway. I know a lot of poets work differently. But for me, I needed just the kind of, yeah, the focus and the dedication. Um, did you actually have, like, hundreds of poems that you could have... Uh could have put in here and was it just kind of like being really really strict with yourself just no 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 saying no to all of these other poems yeah i just didn't like them at all i mean there were 40 poems in my chat book as lunas that was actually longer than my collection um <laughs> i felt they were all really weak uh and then there are a few, you know there's a poetry you know you publish all this stuff online or little journals so you know over the years they do like i have a big pile of stuff on my shelf you find them you're going oh my god i have all these poems so yeah, um, I'm, you know, I'm sure some of them are good or whatever, um, but for me, it they just weren't good enough uh, <laughs> at all. Um, and yeah, again, I just didn't see the point in, you know, all the award-winning poems together for the sake of it, and should that's the collection, I wouldn't just felt, you know, remotely kind of fulfilled. But um, so yeah, they're pretty much, uh, let me see, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, where's the book? So many books, <laughs> I have it here. Uh, I've barely even had time to think about it, it's crazy. Uh, it's here. <clears throat> I would see. I think, yeah, pretty much Sculptor and Ashes are the only ones that appeared originally. They're poems that always kind of struck a chord of people. And then Strangely Sundays was an old one uh, from about my grandfather, and I really didn't want to put that in. I think it's a really kind of sentimental poem, but then oddly that's the one that everyone seems to really love. So, yeah, they're all, they're all apart from that, they're all brand new. Like, I think that the newest ones would be Kings, uh, One Morning in Winter, and Turner. I think, yeah, uh, Turner would be brand, brand new. And like just going back to the ones that you've you've discarded, like is is it just a really tough thing to kind of come to terms with the idea that uh, it's like this poem isn't good enough? Um, I suppose I'm just incredibly hard on myself in general, uh, <laughs> and I set high standards. So for me, it wasn't. I mean, to be honest, because I I, I submitted so few poems from my manuscript. It could have been a different story if I'd sent in, you know, salmon, 200 poems. They would have had twiddled them down. That might have killed me. Um, but I suppose what I did is I made sure I sent on the manuscript to about seven different, like, really kind of, you know, established poets who are a lot much older and wiser than me. And I got a load of critical feedback. And I was really kind of, I was like, just tell me, you know, don't be, um, you know, just be really rough about it. Just tell me to be straight. There's no point in me having a book published and then, you know, hearing all these critical responses. Um, so I did that and I listened to their, you know, what they said. I did what they asked me. And like, yeah, just people were brilliant. So like people like Dearney Griffith and Theo Dorgan and stuff. They really helped me with that. Um, so the time it actually kind of got to Sam and I think it had been very kind of whittled down anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I figured out that there's no point in me being precious about my work because that's, you know, what matters is the work being good. Yeah. And so... Like, I, I don't 100% understand it, so I'm hoping you can explain to me and other people as well hopefully don't understand it either. Just the idea of what a chapbook actually is. That's It kind of strikes me as like it's a mixtape or something, you know? It's like an introduction to your work, is that right? Yeah, well, a chapbook, I kind of think of it as a, it's an EP, basically. So I suppose like you don't want to bring out your first album, but you have a few kind of tasters, you want to kind of get your name out there or whatever. Um, for me, to be honest, it was actually Lapwing approached me. They were really kind and they approached me about a collection originally um, or a chapbook. And at that point, it, um, everyone was kind of saying, oh, a chapbook is really handy for gigs. You know, you can kind of you can sell your book or you can just kind of people, you know, it's a bit of a kind of calling card. People take it more seriously. Um, so at the time, they agreed to do it kind of privately so there wouldn't be an ISBN. So I get to then the Patrick Cavan Award, which I never won after all the years of submitting. <laughs> that was a big waste of time. But um 
Yeah, that was why. <laughs> and I did actually find that once he actually had something to sell, a book, um, it did make a huge difference. Like, I got bigger readings and people suddenly took me more seriously. And that's, when, you know, again, I think when you show that you're serious about having a body of work together, then, yeah, I got the, the offer of a collection immediately. So I do think it's a really good idea. Yeah. And so when did you kind of decide that you wanted to be a writer or a poet? Like when when did it all start and you got serious about it? Uh, never really decided that. Uh, <laughs> still, still kind of sure about that whole thing, to be honest. I find it like a little interview. People are really kind of like, oh, you're a bright young woman. Why is it so stupid to pick careers, you know, poetry? <laughs> Uh, which I have many problems with. Um, no, I never, ever, ever thought I'd end up being, uh, you know, a serious poet. I didn't, in school, if you, you're the same, um, poetry always seemed something very inaccessible to me, something very mysterious that I didn't really understand, um, certainly the stuff that we were taught anyway. But I was always really, really into music, um, and I was always into song. You know, back in the day, before Spotify, before the internet, <laughs> I'd buy albums and I'd buy, you know, and I'd, you know, the covers would have all the lyrics. And, and, you know, in one sense, they are like poems because, you know, it's always short and quite brief and minimalist. So, and I, I think a lot of Irish songwriters around that time, like Gemma Hayes and stuff, I was, you know, <laughs> 15-year-old, but I was really into that kind of very kind of, uh, I suppose, emotional, um, I don't know, kind of, yeah, they're kind of beautiful words, that kind of thing. So it was much more music. And then I think when I was 16, I got this book of photography for Christmas, Nan Golden, and there was a poem by Sharon Olds, and it's called The Promise, which to this day I think is one of the best poems I've ever read. It's a really beautiful, intimate portrayal about them, her and her husband having dinner and kind of promising to kill each other if one of them gets sick. It's kind of about euthanasia. And basically I didn't know poetry could be like that. I was just completely blown away. And again, it's funny because, again, back then there was no... You know, you could get into your local library maybe for like the internet and stuff, but there was nothing comes to the Poetry Foundation that there is now. There's a wealth of poetry online, so I had to pretty much go to bookshops and discover poetry that way through the Blood Axe anthologies. So being alive, staying alive, all those, they were just for me phenomenal because there's like, you know, huge um, selection of contemporary poets that you could just suddenly read and they were thematic and it was brilliant. But apart from that, there really was nothing. I mean, it was really hard to find out about poetry or what it was or where it happens. Um, so by the time I got into college, uh, and with Treasury Library, you could literally access everything. So I remember like my first week, you know, doing the cliche thing of reading all the class journals and reading birthday letters and all these kind of things. <laughs> so, yeah, it was always libraries, uh, bookshops. And then I didn't start writing until my final year in college. Uh, I got a poem into Icarus, which is a free magazine they distributed around the whole college, which is actually really cool. Um, you know, it's a brilliant idea. Um, and the distribution's amazing. So, for, you know, I'm so glad it's still going. And that's the confidence to keep going. Um, um, yeah, so I was 22, I suppose. And then I did a course in the Irish Writing Centre and I started working there. And that's what kind of set me off, really, being around writers and discovering this whole community of writers around Ireland. What What did you study in college? I didn't do English. Uh, <laughs> I did English and French. And I didn't. Uh, I did history of art and classics. But I sat in all the English and French lectures. Um, <laughs> so even the lecturers think I did English and French. It's all very confusing. <laughs> But yeah, uh, history of art and classics. So again, there was no, you know, I wasn't kind of like storming into Trinity, going into societies or anything like that. I was just kind of like enjoying it, I suppose. But I never felt confident about, you know, writers seem to me to be these other people that like I'd never dare to be, you know, an established writer or anything. But then I suppose when I, especially doing the course, um, it was the course of Alan Jude Moore and meeting poets. And especially, I have to say, it was the, it was the underground scene of them, the open mic night, you know, when it was back then, it was Glore, run by Stephen James Smith and all these people. And Colin Keegan and Dave Lorden um, were just so supportive, you know, and it's made just like making these amazing friendships, like many people like Sarah Griffin and Dave Rudden and 
it was always such fun as well, I think, you know, and kind of suddenly like being, again, it's just such a supportive community and it still is. And I always say this to people um, because I've traveled around, I've seen the kind of underground scenes in different cities like Paris and London and New York. And it's fine, but there is something, I think, in Dublin, because it is so small and it is, people are genuinely willing to help each other. You know, it's a fantastic city if you're an unknown or a beginning uh, writer. Do you think that, like, the internet is just kind of... Um uh exacerbated that is that the right word i don't know um you know it's just it's so easy to kind of find the underground in dublin and in various other cities as well yeah i think it is really handy because again you know thinking back to when i was younger and i'm sure you're the same i don't know what age you are but um <laughs> you know we didn't have smartphones you know even the beginning of college i didn't have facebook yeah i kind of it was so different and um, so it was much more about kind of libraries or word of mouth and that kind of thing I think now that you things like, yeah, I mean, you know, you can find out so much about kind of like, you know, pretty much every night of the week there's something on in Dublin. Um, and just find, you know, meeting the poets, all this kind of stuff. Even, I mean, apps like, you know, or even whatever, online magazines like Poetry Foundation. Incredible. You know, you pretty much every poet you could ever want. You can read all their work online. You can read it for free. Um, I know there's terrible, terrible things about the internet. But I think in terms of that for poetry, it's, it's really brilliant because it's all just accessible. Do you have to be kind of careful, like with now that you've kind of got a book of poetry out there and stuff, just kind of putting um, your your poems online or for free and everything? Do you have to kind of be like, actually, maybe I'll hold on to this for the next book? Is that kind of how you start thinking? Um, well, one kind of confusing thing that I'm still not too sure about. I think it's once once you know your book is out, those poems are technically published, so they can't be published anywhere else. Um. Very people have said, oh, but they can if you want permission and stuff. But it's not the same as I can't submit any of these poems to journals. So because it's such a short book, uh, I think I managed to get most of them published before the book came out. Um, but yes, I don't. I mean, the majority of poems in the like, I've never, I've never put them online apart from the kind of old ones like Ashton Sculpter. And then doing, it was really weird actually because the book just, I literally got the book in my hand on that day I had to do a reading for Orsi Arena. So the first time I was reading these some of the poems out to anyone was like on radio you know what I mean it's a really weird yeah. thing it's like you know yeah and it seems like you're kind of uh you've been reading quite a few of them on various different um outlets it seems like uh there, there was a point there where it was like oh you're on RT you're on this radio show that radio show is it kind of like whoa I'm <laughs> I'm giving away all of the book here yeah that all happened back since um <laughs> yeah and it was just like they called me in so yeah I ended up being kind of ricochet and we're seeing the same week I'm probably reading out the majority of the collection. And then as well, something that family very kindly took two of the poems, which is brilliant, and the lead up to it. But again, that has to be, they can only broadcast before the poem, the book was out. And then once you have it with them, they have the kind of ownership over it and you kind of sign it away. So I couldn't read that out on any other radio show. It was really confusing. So when I was in Arena, I had to make sure I wasn't reading a poem that read in Ricochet and all this kind of stuff. Oh, right. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's really weird, actually. I think, to be honest, maybe there's very few of them yeah, I think between the ones that have actually been published, like things like Wish and stuff, and the ones that have appeared in various different places, and the ones I read out in line, I don't think any of them are new now. <laughs> I think everyone knows it all, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, like, it kind of started in Paris, was it? You broke your foot and you went to Paris? No, no, no. I lived in Paris years ago, in 2012. Um, and I never... I definitely went to Paris, it was during the winter, it was snowy and everything. I went to kind of like do some writing, didn't do any writing, but I did experience the city, you know. Um, and it was just so beautiful and everything. And I've always been drawn back to Paris. I go back a couple of times a year, spent a month there this year again. So, but I never thought I'd write a collection based on Paris or art, that matter. It was never the intention. I didn't, I didn't know what it would be about. 
or my family. But um, yeah, I suppose again, just kind of being at home and whatever. I've been working full time for three years. I haven't done any writing. I haven't been kind of like you know looking within, I suppose. And then yeah, just that that time uh, in Paris, so kind of uh, beautiful and transformative, I suppose. And a lot of the kind of things I wanted to write about kind of seemed to tie into each other. And then bits about my family, my ancestry, and stuff. So yeah, it just uh, it was all it was all written uh, in uh, at home, Cabin Tilly, on Curtis. <laughs> um, was it kind of the the romantic notions about Paris that kind of drew you there? The the fact, like, I mean, I know you've got a poem called Hemingway in the collection, which is uh, it's one of my favorites of of the the book. Is is it kind of like going to Paris and kind of exploring these writers and kind of treading where they tread? Yeah, it's funny. Everyone likes Hemingway. And I just, again, I thought it was a really rambly, you know, uh, poem. But things like, <laughs> it's true that that did happen. Um, I No, I didn't necessarily go to kind of, like, relive their, their lives. Because, again, I think I would have known where he lived. Uh, <laughs> it was all just kind of, you know, backwards and everything. But, yeah, I suppose... Um, I think I wanted to get away from Dublin at the time. And I wanted to... You know, I'm obsessed with art galleries. It's probably obvious from the book. I wanted to get somewhere that was kind of cheap enough to live, that was beautiful, that would inspire me. Um, and I love French, the French language, I love French food and everything. I had friends there, so it kind of made sense. Um, but then, yeah, it wasn't even, I didn't really know much about the whole Shakespeare and Co history or any of that or how much time Joyce to Hemingway or anything that's spent there. So it was only kind of literally being in Shakespeare and Co and discovering it that way, which is beautiful. And it's even, I still, like even, you know, even down and out in Paris and London and stuff, I still want to go back and going back to Paris at the beginning of uh, December. And I still want to go, you know, see where he lived and see where they all kind of, what they all experienced. But it's just such an incredible city. I just, I do like... I don't know, there is just something about it that, like, the lifestyle, the way of life there, uh, even when I spent a month there in June, it was just, you know, it's kind of all about food and leisure and people aren't running around with smartphones. There's not kind of hectic sense you get in London. I think mm-hmm. I'd love to live there eventually. Did, uh, did you find um, that it was kind of a little bit different when you were there earlier this year um, after the terror attacks last year? Did you feel like a different kind of sense in the air or anything? Yeah, it was awful. Um, I mean, I was staying in a very, you know, up in Montmartre this time, the very near Sacre Coeur. It's a really beautiful area. They filmed Amelie all around there, and it, just, it all looked oh. like that. Um, yeah, it's really stunning. I really recommend it, and I haven't spent time in that area before. Uh, but yeah, compared to the place, yeah, I've been there for, you know, two months, two, three months since 2012, and this time, I mean, there were armed soldiers everywhere. I was over there just for the beginnings of the Euros and everything, so it was like high alert. Um, and yeah, it was awful. You could sense it. Um, and even I remember, like, there were an awful lot of, you know, protests and strikes about other things anyway when I was there. And I remember one day being in a cafe off um, the Paris Saint-Germain and a couple of ambulances went by and everyone just froze, you know, and everyone kind of freezes and looks at their phones. And, you know, yeah, it was an awful atmosphere. And I think they, you know, the media sort of kept kind of being like, oh, something will definitely happen for the Euros, you know. And then, you know, and unfortunately it was just directly after the Euros that Nice um, happened. And yeah. I was back in Dublin at that point, but like, it's just awful. Like, it really is just awful that, like, you know, you're suddenly seeing armed soldiers everywhere and police everywhere and they're loaded guns near you. And, you know, um, I think, you know, prisons didn't really talk about it. I think they're strong and they're, you know, they're, they're not letting guess them. But, like, definitely see it. it felt like this kind of, yeah, like World War II vibe. You know, it did feel really, really different. Yeah. Um, so you kind of went around all of Paris and stuff. Were you constantly writing as well in June? Like, is it kind of, you know, like you're getting inspiration from going to the galleries or to or to wherever like Shakespeare and Cohen stuff and then you're kind of reflecting on it in the evening or is it just kind of like just relaxing no just relaxing I mean I, I just finished editing all the kind of like you know craziness of living in a library and being on mental finishing poetry collections 
So I didn't want to get near writing when I was over there. I think Hemingway said this too, that like you can only write about a city once you've left it. So I think that's why even he wrote a movable feast towards the end of his life, like years after he lived in Paris. Yeah. Um and I yeah, I think I kind of agree with that. Like it's very hard to write about a place once you're once you're in it. I think I decided to kind of like go explore it and experience different things. Uh, the same as in London for a week there, the same. I just like went to all the exhibitions and you know, there's no point in me kind of wasting time in a cafe in London writing when I could be out doing stuff. Um so let's talk about looking at the stars, I guess. It's a well, it's a it's a big piece of work and like just the turnaround seems to be like um very impressive it seems like the idea you i think you say in your introduction it started you got the idea for it in may and like it's it came out at the end of october yeah um yeah i think i'm still kind of in shock uh <laughs> that it's all happened because you know the launch and everything is all in the past week um so basically, yeah, it started with, you know, a very small idea of literally, you know, I was so sick of it. And I'd actually, when I've been to Paris a month come back, <coughs> that's when it hit me how bad it was in Dublin. You know, that you kind of forget in Paris, you don't have people coming up to you in every street, you don't have people sleeping in every doorway. I think we do just become used to it here. Um, because that's what, you know, what's around us. I've become desensitized. So, yeah, I mean, from the get-go, I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, why didn't you approach a publisher? Wouldn't that have been easier? Blah, blah, blah. It would have been an awful lot easier. And I did try that kind of thing. But everyone was saying their Christmas prices are already booked up, but won't happen the side of Christmas. People are advising, wait until next Christmas. Like, January, it was like, oh, no, just, you know, this will take too much work. Um, but I'm quite impatient about things, and my view was, you know, people will be dead by next Christmas, so this is a current crisis. Um, so basically, yeah, but I've always been very kind of impatient. So I just, yeah, kind of rallied the troops, and I just kind of met up with, I mean, it was about probably three weeks of kind of, like, literally back-to-back coffees every day. Like, it was an awful lot of work. But then, luckily, Alice Kinsley came on board with me, and the Sun Slime community were so supportive. And the best thing was the writers. I think it was actually my last week in Paris this year, and I just, yeah, I wrote to Joseph O'Connor. Kind of, I made kind of a decision being, okay, either I do this 100% or we don't do it. You know, it was very much, I didn't want to do it half partially when we had the potential to make it something big. I wrote to Joseph O'Connor, and he sent me his piece immediately. And he said, it was like, absolutely. And it was just really thanks to him that I kind of go and put his name, to be honest, to get the other thing I was trying to Um and yes, uh, it's just been extraordinary. And I think, yeah, there is, again, the support, the response is so phenomenal. Like, Ron and Claire from the Islands immediately was like, oh, the site setting, like, the printers approached me from court. Like, everyone just kind of came to me, so it all kind of fell into place. Um, I like that when I met up with all our funders, kind of Poetry Island, the Irish Writers' Centre, Munster Digital Centre, and the UNESCO. I didn't ask them for money. I just met up and I was like, listen, here's what I want to do. Do you have any advice, any ideas? That's what I'm pretty much doing with everyone. And all of them just funded it, like, you know, without me even asking. So it was just... Yeah, it was done quite easily. And then the main thing was the getting all the pieces together was kind of irritating, getting the cover finally together. Um, but the rest was all quite simple. It's a really nice cover as well. It's uh, someone in a in a big coat just kind of sitting on sitting on kind of a step looking at the stars. Yeah, well, basically the story, the cover has an interesting uh, story behind it. So when I went with two guys in the Dumbasana community back in May, um, that week, synchronously, there was a launch of this project called the Insight Project. Uh, and what they've done is, again, through the Slime community, um, people had given uh, disposable cameras to people who are homeless, and they asked them to kind of photograph their day-to-day lives. And then they printed out these pictures and had a beautiful exhibition in Paris Court, and all the profits, you know, went towards the Simon. So this was actually one of the photographs. Um, it's based on the photograph, so it was taken for a real homeless person, taken by a homeless person. Um, and so we kind of made it into, it was on Hardcore Street, we made it into a real a kind of graphic illustration based on that. Um, so even that, it's kind of the same way that we have like real 
uh, we have writing from homeless people in the book and we have non-fiction kind of, you know, the Paul Case in a court who actually experienced homelessness. We wanted it to be a kind of like a real political book, you know, to raise awareness, mm. not just have nice fiction stories about homelessness. We wanted it to be kind of real. So again, that the cover is actually a real person. Oh, okay. Um, so actually getting all of the uh, contributors together, was it kind of sitting down with a list and being like, oh, I want to get Sinead Gleeson, I want to get John Kelly, I want to get, you know, um, Danielle McLaughlin? Or is it kind of like a lot of them came to you as well? Uh, it was all a bit of a, a mixture. So at the beginning, when it was a small idea, I was like, oh, I'll put out a call for contributors. You know, that's, you know, I know a lot of poets, you know, we'll, we'll do the thing. And then as things were kind of getting bigger and, you know, um, it was becoming a, a bigger project, I was advised, like, no, it would just be undundated. It would just be so much extra work and then having to reject people, all that kind of thing. So I got a lot of these, I'd say about like a third of people had already approached me, third people on the list. And then others uh, were recommended or we asked them um, or, you know, certain people who like, you know, had written about homes before, or, like Martina Bergen, she's the head of the Rough Sleepers team. So, you know, kind of relevant people. Um, and then at the same time, because, we were unsure about kind of, uh, I asked writers to write something between 1,000 and 1,500 words, but we were unsure about, like, again, the cost and the size of it, so we didn't know how many to ask. Mm. But it kind of, it worked out well in the end. We actually thought the book would be a lot longer. Um, and, yeah, but I just couldn't believe, um, again, people were just so gracious that I couldn't believe we got John Banville, we got us. Like, it was, it was just amazing. And and the fact that it's so much, I, I don't know if it's all original stuff, but a lot of it seems to be a lot of the stuff that I've read is original as well, which is impressive again, considering such a short turnaround. Yeah, I, I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, there are there's probably about 15 writers who aren't in the book that we, you know, I did approach and I really did ask, um, but they were they were too busy with deadlines. But they're really apologetic, so if there's any big names missing, you, you know why. <laughs> um, but a lot of people, like, which I was just, I couldn't believe, like Colin Barrett wrote a new piece, you know, it, you know, and Donna Ryan even originally had said an, uh, an extract from his forthcoming novel, and then he wrote to me and he was like, I'm so sorry, I don't have anything, so I wrote a new short story, is this okay? And he was like, that is absolutely fine, Donna Ryan, you know, incredible. Um, the same with Linda McKeown. Uh, Sarah Bannon, Sinead Gleeson, like, I think they're, to be honest, I think they're just some of the most powerful pieces in the book, and they're, they're all just divide themselves because I said you know it could be a previously published piece you know we'll uh, you know we'll mention it at the back and it could be vaguely about homelessness but um yeah the authors are really kind of yeah like just focusing on that were just brilliant and then some had stuff that was kind of relevant so we used that and again we credit at the back that it's been previously published like Kevin Barry's piece and then I think a lot of the poems had been published before um but that's great and then yeah Lynn Moran and Paul Casey wrote their kind of like non-fiction uh, personal pieces as did kind of uh, Ricochet, Mary Donnell and Nell Regan wrote more kind of political um, opinion pieces. And yeah, and for me, I'm just kind of really happy the way, I know it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, mix of, you know, poetry and fiction and non-fiction, but, um, and also people were kind of like, oh, put it, you know, just, just order them alphabetically, you know, that'll just kind of solve that problem. But I was like, no, again, when the pieces started coming in, in my opinion, they were falling into the thematic uh, sections. And I think the way they're ordered now does kind of lead you on a little journey. Mm. I, I presume that, like, as soon as you submitted it, that you were like, ah, oh, I should have asked, you know, this person. Ah, oh, I should have asked that person. Yeah, uh, we have to be, I mean, there's so much back and forth about this. We have to be straight to that, you know, because at the end of the day, there is a cutoff point. We, you know, we have deadlines. We have to get the book out. And so, yeah, we couldn't be open to everyone. And again, because we had, you know, settlement funding, limited edition, we just wanted to kind of, like, make a thing, make money for the time community. Um, I mean, if a bigger publisher wanted to take it on next year or something, I'm sure it would be like four times the size and hardback and all that. But uh, again, we are quite limited by time. But um, yeah, but I suppose considering all that, I'm, I'm really happy with what, what it turned out to be.
do you think that there should be more um kind of uh quicker um kind of turnarounds on issues like this you know something that's actually dealing with homelessness that more writers should kind of address the big issues like i know ali smith has got a new book out called autumn which kind of seems to be talking about uh brexit and just kind of everything bad that's happening in england at the moment do you think that more writers should kind of be thinking well what's awful about ireland at the moment we should we should try and write about this and get more attention to it yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have to be writers or whatever. I mean, you know, uh, society in general. But yeah, everyone was kind of like, no, wait, blah, blah. But I was like, you know, oh, publishing takes ages. Or, you know, oh, distribution fees. You'll never, you know, you'll never get all the profits towards the thing. And I was like, no, I think I've proved that you can. You know, you can produce a book, you can produce a good book quite quickly, and you can make all the proceeds, you know, if you're just kind of strict about it. And so, yeah, I kind of, you know, I think novels and things obviously take an awful lot longer. Like if I wanted to write a novel homelessness, it probably would appear in the shelf in three years and think, you know. Um, but I think we can, there's a lot we can do now, you know, um, and I think this book proves it's possible that if you just kind of, you know, want to make a difference, you can. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the whole thing of this is, you know, I think we can all do something as individuals. We shouldn't have to, but I think, you know, again, people can put on gigs, they can do whatever, they can do runs, you know, I think we can all, we can all do something now. And it's kind of getting a great, like, great press and everything, you know. Um, tell me about the launch that you had in Dublin Castle, was it? We had it in the mansion house, the, mansion uh, the house. ochre in the mansion house, and uh, yeah, again, there's a lot of kind of, uh, to be honest, the long space and the drinks were the biggest problems we had uh, recently. <laughs> um, you know, we, cause it's not, you know, again, it's not in every bookshop, so we didn't want to launch it in, you know, one particular bookshop against another and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we were trying to find a free space that would be suitable, and then, yeah, so we wrote to the mayor and he graciously allowed us to have it there for free. Um, and yeah, that was really great. Um, I mean, the, the annoying thing was that it was like maximum 100 capacity. They're quite strict there, so we had to make it a private launch. Um, but that's oh. why at least we have our public events tomorrow, so we doing book festivals and readings with some churches. But yeah, it was beautiful, and there's a lot of photographs on the website and everything. And we had speeches from the Deputy Lord Mayor and the CEO of the Fond community. Um, I gave a kind of political speech as well, giving out about everything. And yeah, <laughs> it was really, really great. And then, yeah, to be honest, the book is actually basically sold out now. Which is great, um, but there's a lot of kind of, you know, that's why I'm kind of so interested, just like supply, get the books in different places. And then really amazingly, um, Singing Fly uh, just this week agreed to sell some on their website, which is brilliant, so you can order from Singing Fly now as well. And yeah, so pretty much it's, I think they'll all be gone in the next few weeks, the way it's looking. And yeah, and then so before Christmas, the Rookie Team will have 15,000 euro extra. You didn't think about doing a second run or doing like another thousand copies or anything? Um, there's been an awful lot of back and forth about that. Uh, so I still can't really comment on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, just like the work involved, is it? It sounds like there's probably a lot of admin on your part. Is this something that that was kind of new to you? Just kind of like talking to the, you know, talking to all of the writers and then um, the publishers and everything else that's involved in it. Uh, no, I think I mean I haven't worked in a publishing house. I don't really interested in that side of things. But I've worked, you know. For two years, I worked in the writer Centre, events coordinator, so I'll be used to contact the writers all the time. And then I've worked in the book trade, I've worked in, you know, how to take a book festival, all these kind of things. So that part of it was, you know, very straightforward and kind of obvious to me. Um, the most difficult part of it was, yeah, thank God I had Granny Clear from Middle Island for the typesetting and that kind of, you know, more, again, you know, getting things high res enough and all the kind of technicalities of printing things and bleed margins, all these weird things you don't know about. ISBNs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the Monster Centre literally gave us an ISBN, otherwise we would have to pay for it, all this kind of thing. But again, people were just great. Um, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the kind of editorial process, I suppose, because I edit bare hands and things, and I'm a writer. I found that quite, uh, you know, just, you 
enjoyable. Um, I suppose the main the main annoying thing is literally the distribution because we didn't want to pay a distributor that would have taken half like half the cost. So there was an awful lot of literally it's still happening dragging boxes around town. Um, but that's fine. I'm really glad we've kind of contained it still because that would have just been a nightmare otherwise. Um, so is it going to be an annual thing? Do you think, or have you thought um, ahead? I was. I mean, you know, again, same that people are going reprint ten you know ten thousand copies and have it everywhere. My whole kind of uh, vision was do something kind of, you know, small, make a limited edition so you know, people just buy it quickly and just, you know, do the most kind of quick, effective thing to raise money from with us. Um, I, I mean, if someone wants to do it next year, by all means, if some publisher wants to take it on, I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, I personally wouldn't do this again because it was such an awful lot of work and, you know, it was kind of just like one project we had in mind. Um, but I think if they wanted to make an annual thing, but again, I do just suspect that if a publisher took it on very little of the proceeds would end up going towards Simon so that's you know for me that was my biggest thing that like the way we did it was the bookshop bought the books for himself and just transferred the money directly to Simon themselves so that's there's no there was no messing about um and we didn't want to be stuck with like a load of like you know extra copies for return in January and things none of that yeah. so I don't know I mean I think the way we did it was quite effective but uh yeah maybe it should be an annual thing so is it kind of like you know, this took up so much of your time and now that it's actually out there, I know that you've kind of got a, um, a good few events still kind of coming up promoting it and promoting your own stuff. But is it just kind of like, wow, I have all of this free time. What do I do now? Uh, I've no free time. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just, I suppose, you know, again, people look at me and think, oh, sorry, no, again, it's still this kind of endless thing of press and distribution and trying to promote our events and, you know, all that kind of thing. Like the big events tomorrow at Book Festival, you know, big events down in Cork. And it's great that even today I have to like, you know, email all the contributors and make sure they all, all you know, know what's happening and have their copies and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I think someone hopefully might review it, which would be nice um, to get a nice review because the pieces themselves are actually so gorgeous. But to be honest, it's actually, I mean, it's, it's so great about now, but it's actually, it's, the whole thing's very emotional because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, I think like I said in the, the night of the launch, um, this all started because I started talking to a girl on Grafton Street and she was homeless from Limerick. And her name was also Kerry. And as he is, it's great with all this, but she's probably still sleeping rough tonight. You know, it's kind of, and even we use pieces written by, you know, service users of the Dumb Slimy community. And we, uh, the Slimy community published this thing called Scrappy But Happy every year. And so it's a kind of little, um, a collection of, you know, uh, writings and artwork from their creative writing workshops. And some of the pieces we wanted to use, we, we selected a selection of, you know, writings that, you know, we thought fit the book. Um, some of the people have died, you know, the time they, they ask permission so it's it's that kind of thing where the reality is people are you know and even it's so great we're doing this but still i walk around dublin and you know even last night every doorway you know every single street there's someone sleeping or begging so it's, it's still a lot has to happen you know um so i'm still that's why a lot of this i still want to raise awareness that we have to do this has to change the attitude towards it has to change you know it's not just a case of like you know throwing money towards a charity i think it's, it's bigger than that yeah, and it doesn't seem like there's like an easy answer or something coming down the road anytime soon either. Like whenever I go to Dublin, there is just kind of like I I don't know. It feels like there's a bit of a cloud over the place that it feels a little bit kind of depressed with everything that's just like shit that's going on. Yeah, and I don't, to be honest, it also feels quite dangerous. I think you know, um, I think if you're a tourist and stuff, you know, I don't, I can't imagine what tourists think. You know, what's happening with the city at the moment? How it's going to being ignored by the government um it is really bad but i think the the good thing is with this because it's going towards a rough sleeper team 
like it's, in my opinion, it's going towards the kind of biggest problem at the moment is like people dying on the street. So this will provide more sleeping bags, you know, food, everything, more shelter, you know, possibly just more beds. Um, but I suppose just, you know, doing what we can with just to prevent, you know, less people dying this year because people will die this year. Mm. It's just a fact. It will. It's cold now already. Um, but again, hopefully, uh, at least they'll have 15,000 extra this year, if not more. Um, so at least we can do something. I think in general, it's, yeah, it's a crisis. You know, it's awful. Yeah. I won't give you too much longer, but I wanted to ask you about Ovale, which you're going to be reading at, down in Cork uh, at the end of the month for their winter, I think it's the Winter Warmer Festival. Um, yeah. Is it going to be new stuff you're reading or are you going to be toting down copies of uh, Illuminate? <laughs> uh, it'll be all from Illuminate. Um, I've only actually done one reading from Illuminate. So oh, far. wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, strange. Uh, 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 only at the reading that I realised that I haven't given a poetry reading in three years. That's <laughs> all quite new and terrifying to me again. It's like, oh, God. So, but yeah, that'll be good. Um, and yeah, that's the kind of weekend of the 25th of November. And there's some great other poets coming down. Uh, Jessica Trainer and Sean Denny, people like that. And then on the Monday, the 28th, we're having an event for Looking at the Stars as part of the Vale. So a few of our core contributors will be reading and you can get the anthology there. And yeah, and the amazing Paul Casey will be, you know, hosting that, which is just really kind of, it's all coming full circle because years ago, Paul invited me to read down at Vale. And he put me up in the B&B and paid me for the reading and, you know, all this kind of stuff, like, made sure I got him safe and, you know, kind of felt like I was treated like a queen for, like, a, a young poet. And then it was, it was only until this year that I think Alfred McGinch said to me, you know, he was homeless for you, you should ask him for peace, and I had no idea. Um, and I assumed maybe he was homeless for a bit in court or something, but, yeah, I just you'll see in the book, it's just a heartbreaking story. So it's lovely that now it'll, you know, going back down to Paul again, it's a lovely, it's a lovely way to kind of finish the whole thing. And when you were first asked to read Addo Vale like a, a couple of years ago, was it kind of like, wow, there is kind of this uh, underground poetry scene in Ireland, across Ireland, that, you know, kind of a lot of people wouldn't know about? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was, I mean, it's such an honour to be asked to read Addo Vale. I mean, you know, again, it's so established and you go down and it's Cork and they pay you. And oh, my God, you know. Um, yeah, for me, that was a huge deal. Um, I suppose, yeah, to be treated like an actual writer and stuff, you know, it's not just that you're you know, popping up at a, you know, open microphone drunk and thing. Yeah, I think they do phenomenal work. I mean, the Munster History Centre in general, I think, is just extraordinary for the amount of what, for what it's doing in Irish writers, uh, for Irish, emerging current Irish writers. And, yeah, and the same with, I think, I think the one thing I keep pointing out about this book, the kind of irony is that, like, this has all been made possible by writers who are generally underpaid, and Irish history organisations who are all completely underfunded. Um, and I think that's kind of a testament to the amazing support of literary community in Ireland at the moment, and that we really need to kind of support these organizations who support living writers are you are you now finally kind of getting more comfortable with calling yourself a writer and a poet now um yeah i think so i think the next thing will have to be a novel to be honest uh <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Poetry. but you know yeah i think it's uh i've written you know short stories and six months in the past and the novella penny dress novella all that so i think the next thing will be prose um, but like, I mean, there's no, there's no pressure on you and like the likes of, uh, Joanna Walsh and Sinead Gleeson are kind of constantly saying like, why does everybody think that just because we write short stories that the goal is to write a, a novel? Like, is it, is it just kind of like your own kind of, uh, box ticking that, you know, man, I really want to write a novel. Um, uh, I suppose for me, it's in terms of the career move, <laughs> because as much as I love poetry and everything, you know, there is, you know, say if I write some really amazing, decent novel, you know, in the next year or two, and really, you know, make a go of it, you could get a book deal, you 
know, and then it can like say get published by an Irish publisher. It can get sold abroad, and it can happen. You know, you can actually be a kind of like oh official, you know, traveling writer with advances and things. And I think that's why, yeah, for me personally, I mean, I, I obviously love prose and stuff um, as well. But I think yeah, the career move it just makes more sense for me um, than waiting around to try and get like a poetry professorship and thing. Um, yeah, that's the way it's going really. That's something my peers are doing it as well. I think I need to kind of write a novel and also I'm 30 in February so I think I'm getting that fear of I need to write a novel before 30 <laughs> so uh so that's the goal for 2017 sit down write the novel yeah I should probably get into a job or something as well but um <laughs> yeah. but maybe I want to just I got a, I got a small breakthrough from the New Kent Council uh, towards the development of the novel which is great so yeah maybe uh, a bit of time in Paris and yeah just fully focusing on finishing a, a novel Cool. Well, best of luck. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting, and I'll hopefully see you when you're down in court for a couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. Cool.